Thank you for joining us. This is Happiness, the Skeptic's Guide with chartered psychologist and author Dr. Gary Wood and professional skeptic and self-help abuser Paul Flower. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow, rate and review wherever you find your podcasts. In this season finale, we look at happiness and awakenings and how we can find inspiration for happiness and well-being in unusual places. And we reach the conclusion that at least one of us needs to switch to decaf. I get it. All right, I'll let you fire away. Oh, where are we? I'm going to let me think. Hmm. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to Happiness a Skeptic's Guide. Are you sitting comfortably? Because I'd like to tell you a story <laughs> about awakenings. So we've heard a lot in the media about being woke, and it's totally misused. And so let's talk a little bit in this episode about using a story format to talk about self-help awakening. So we've got the idea that in one of the most popular self-help memes is, if I wake up above ground, it's a good day. Mm, another day above ground is a good yes, day. Yes, yeah. and it kind of assumes that everybody's waking up to the same, doesn't it? It kind of assumes equivalence. It's just as insidious as austerities. We're all in this together, although some of us are deeper in it than others. And some of us have fewer blessings to count. Oh, she's sounding like me on my soapbox. The pandemic could have been a great leveller, but instead has widened the abyss. Hmm. And now being aware of the abyss and being aware of inequality is a bad thing. You're woke. And the reason I've mentioned... This Abyss. is like a late-night horror story, isn't it? Yes. Orson Welles is back amongst us and living in Edinburgh. And the way, the reason I've mentioned the Abyss is because, what's his name? Oh, Frederick Nietzsche. I got his quote uh, written. Fred. And he said, Fred. when you look long enough into the Abyss, the Abyss, abyss looks also back. looks into you. Yeah. And that's from Beyond Good and Evil. So that's made you all happier, hasn't it? Yes. (laughs) But Frederick Nietzsche also said, a thinker sees his own actions as experiments and questions and as attempts to find out something. Hmm. So he wasn't, I know his middle name isn't probably Joybringer, but he's got a point. He can teach us something about this. So is it... Uh, are we looking then more at the sort of stoical kind of aspects of analysis as the Nietzsche style, the bleak style of it all? I think I'm just looking at the experiment style of it all. It was interesting. In a 2010 lecture, our dear friend Martin Seligman, in his lecture entitled Flourish, Positive Psychology and Positive Intentions, he actually used a story from Nietzsche from Thus Spoke Zarathustra. That's my favourite. It is not. And you think about well-being and happiness are not the first things that spring to mind when you think about Nietzsche. But obviously, for Martin Seligman, they were. And I looked at this story, and so I included the idea of these three awakenings as an end point in the psychology of well-being. Because, yes, we've come to the end of the psychology of well-being book, Mm -hmm. and we're on trying to mop up a few themes. We're in the epilogue. We are. So the starting point is the the spirit of the of these awakenings. It's it's also called the sheep. And it's someone who lives passively, takes no risks, avoids discomfort and just gets by. And we can see that as a definition of happiness. You're sort of opting out if you do that, aren't you? Or are you? I don't know. I mean well, is that coming back to a little bit of the ignorance is bliss aspect of life? 
Well, some people just want to get by and they, they just want to, you know, avoid. It's just turning your news apps off and uh, not engaging in, in anything kind of that's going on in current affairs and just living the life that you live. Well, it's interesting that I've turned off. I, I had a notification from Facebook every time I log in to say, did you know if you download the app, you can log in a lot quicker? And I wanted to say, yes, that's why I took the app off my phone <laughs> and Twitter. And I've noticed it's cut down my interactions in negativity. Oh, by about 90%. So it wow. can be a good thing. So anyway, in Nietzsche's little story of these three awakenings, there's from the spirits to the camel. I don't know where he got these ideas, but... <laughs> But he was taking some very powerful drugs, I think. <laughs> well, the camel is, I suppose, a beast of burden, isn't it? So it's the acceptance of oughtness and the rules of the game. Mm. And what the camel needs to do if we are to progress is to... Pass through the eye of a needle. Question. Need to... Interestingly, in Aramaic, camel and gimel is gimel in Aramaic. And also rope is gimel in Aramaic. So it's entirely possible that Jesus is actually saying it is easier for a rope to get through the eye of a needle because (laughs) a rope would be a single strand so you get rid of all the dross and you've got that single strand rather than the, the eye of a needle, which was this mythical gate outside Jerusalem, mm-hmm. uh, which people are supposed to have been able to pass through, which never existed. So there you go. Yes, you thought you were going to sure foot, wrong foot me with that one, didn't no, you? I did not. Yes. No, I'm never able right. to wrong foot you. But back to Nietzsche. So questions need to be, go beyond adjustments and conditioning. So you think what we've been looking at throughout these episodes are ju- adjusting to things. Is adjustment good enough? And, you know, doing things what we're supposed to, going through the motions, or do we start to question things and do we start to experiment, try things out? So I'm wondering if we go back through the episodes, which are the episodes that cause you to question the most? So we had what is happiness, happiness and meaning, happiness, well-being. We had the stress with survival versus growth. We had mindfulness, talking cures, self-help. The whole idea of creating happiness stories, goals, gratitude, and learned optimism. I don't know, is anything of those that would cause you to question things a little bit more? Um, I think the whole prospect, sorry, the cat has decided to join me. Um, The whole. uh, It wouldn't be an episode without the cats. It certainly wouldn't push its way into the room and uh, push its way around my feet. Um, The whole process has given me little bits of um, insight. So uh, whilst I wouldn't say every episode or every theory has washed over me like a a calming balm, every episode has given me a little bit of something to think about. And on on that basis, you know, there have been learnings from each each of those theories, you know, and some have caused me to go off and look more deeply and, you know, buy Martin Seligman's book and all the rest of it. You know, it's kind of... I think there are parts of the whole that have certainly hit home. And even down to things such as, as mindfulness, you know, I think a lot about mindfulness at the moment, and, and certainly since we did the early episode on it, in the sense that I think I had it down as some artificial construct and, and chanting and meditation and all the rest of it, whereas actually it is just the art of being present. 
Yeah. And even that alone has kind of uh, enlightened me, I think. No, I would not suggest that everybody does what Meg Ryan did in When Harry Met Sally. But, you know, (laughs) but mindful eating is a thing. And and I'm quite vocal when I eat. So if something's nice, everybody knows that I think it's nice. Uh, I'm very, very present with food. If something's beautiful, I notice it. And that's all it is. It just means when you're mindful of things, you don't miss out on so much. So it's the idea that people, I'm not sitting there gazing at my navel, counting my thoughts for 20 minutes. It doesn't necessarily mean that. It just means being more present and actually getting more of an experience yeah, of life. I also think, you know, we've, we've, we harken back into it in the last episode about learned optimism, but also it's the breaking up of the the emotion that you're feeling. So, you know, the taking stock and the, the breaking it up and thinking a bit more about it. So they all tie together in that respect. You know, if you're able to break things down with a, a deep inhale or exhale, you know, to take your time to think about it a little bit more rather than, you know, having the first reaction and the first negative thought, those are definitely beneficial things. Yeah, definitely. So it sounds like um, and Nietzsche's then transition, second transition or transformation comes from camel to lion. And that's when you start to question and reassess attitudes. And that's essentially what we've been doing through a lot of the episodes. Mm-hmm. In the last episode, the Lerd Optimism, that's just about challenging attitudes. When we looked at the, the thing on schema and storytelling, that's just about challenging attitudes. Mm-hmm. So what we're looking at is a start almost of a shift of consciousness, a shift from the intuitive knowledge of, you know, this this will never suit me, this is not right for me, to trying it out. Mm-hmm. And that's the third transition is from lion to child. And it's basically about the spirit of experimentation. So there's a famous sociologist called Alvin Toffler who wrote the book Future Shock. And he said what puts humans apart, we often think of it, is, is it language? Is it the wheel? Is it the internet? No, it's the ability to learn, unlearn and relearn Hmm. That is really the thing that takes us forward. If you look at some people will get stuck in that that mode of just trying the same thing out over and over again. Yeah, the insanity model. Yeah, you look at the fly flying at the window and you know, the glass is there, but they keep flying at the window. You could open the window. They, go, they won't go through the window. They keep flying at it. And sometimes we use the model of that rather than the model of the child. Now, you think about, I mean, we know we think about kids have tantrums and stuff and they they can be very stubborn. But you think about the aspect of the experimentation with a young child and how much in the first two, three years, four years of life that kids learn. It's phenomenal. We never learn as much ever. No, you know, the elasticity of the the brain at that point and, you know, the ability to take things on and, and the fact they learn so much from other people rather than, you know, we seek to learn things from books mostly, don't we, or even this podcast. Mm. But, you know, children learn mostly from observation, from, you know, from what they are taught by other people. And there's a, you know, I know you're a great enthusiast for learning um, and, and it, it should be admired for sure. Well, with a child, you get probably up until the age of I don't know, around about two that the child thinks that the world is an extension of them. Mm-hmm. And after the age of two, they get to realize that, you know, other people exist. There's a difference between the public and private self, and they learn, start to learn mastery of the environment. And we, we sometimes forget that. And, and that can apply to happiness as well as anything, because you look at kids are usually quite confined happiness in the smallest things. Mm. Uh, and it's, it's often by experimentation. So that would be the model we would be 
Pushing forward. Yeah, I think, you know, there's probably an episode that we could have done on, on curiosity and, and remaining curious. If you're curious about life and curious about how things work, and even if you're curious about the way your own mind works, that is going to lead you into greater understanding. And yes, and there is a theme throughout them all as curiosity, because the curiosity is the experimentation that the kid That's has. That's why we're here. Uh, and it's constantly to try things out. And often kids will do stuff you're thinking well that's that's never going to work but they'll still try it out anyway whereas as adults we'll go now that's not going to now sometimes that's okay but you know you don't put your hand in the fire but when it's yeah yeah, but when it's will this exercise now that's not the kind of thing i want to do what about if you got i think i've done myself out of several jobs by bringing experience to the party in the sense that you know, somebody's given me an idea and I've begun, oh, no, that's never going to work because we did it that way previously and it didn't work, rather than shutting my fat face and, you know, letting people get on with it and encouraging them to try that. You reminded me because I, I work, you know, you know, I work as a coach and yeah. one of the biggest problems uh, that people face is delegation. So, you know, if you want a job doing well, do it yourself. And of course, then people get overloaded and overworked. Yeah. And then so they, they talk to me and say, I'm stressed, I'm overworked. And so I, I phrase this question and I usually say, I've got a challenging question. Would it be useful to hear it? And I'm going, <laughs> when you do something for somebody because you don't trust them to do it, what tells you that it's the right thing to rob them of the experience of learning? And they go, oh, is that what I'm doing? And I, it's deliberately <laughs> provocative. But it's the idea is that it, what it does for people is to say, okay, they've got to learn. And I'm taking on too much. I'm stressed, but they've got to learn. Yeah. And if I keep doing this, they will never learn and I'll always be stressed. So something's got to give. Mm-hmm. Oh, I understand that. It's a good, uh, it's a good point. So I'm wondering then, going back to, I can't remember which episode I asked you this question, on a scale from one to 10, with one being the most unhappy you've ever been, and 10 being the most <laughs> happy you've ever you've been, where would you place yourself on the scale? Oh, wow. I, I think this is such a difficult question because it's so subjective and, and so about the now rather than, yeah. and I know we've, we're talking about having come on a journey and therefore we're comparing it to where we were. It's interesting that the couple of episodes back you mentioned the app Dalio. So yeah. I acquired that and sort of started monitoring moods uh, on a daily basis and, and trying to work out what was influencing mood. And I realized I'd said that I wanted to get some kind of equilibrium. Mm. And I think I do have probably looking back at that, do have some equilibrium there. Uh, even though I've probably only got a month of data really to refer to. Mm. And my baseline is probably pretty sad rather than happy. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a four to six somewhere down the line. I, I probably don't anticipate getting too much better in that. So going back to that then, your dailyo was what point? You- um, I would say I was about kind of level on a, a sort of, um, you know, a meh kind of scale they would put it on, although I've renamed them, obviously. But uh I was there or thereabouts at, at kind of quite level most of the time. And what kind of things happens for you uh, or do you do that elevates it beyond meh? Um, I haven't got that deep into it, unfortunately. Yeah, it's too early. But okay. I think my problem is that I've always been worried that and – and I've never been able to work it. I, I want to be able to work it out. This is the issue. And I've been worried that I'm not able to work it out, that some days are good and some days are bad for no apparent reason. 
you know, I've been journaling. I've obviously been doing this and thinking a little, little bit more about disrupting thought and whatever else. But, you know, I do want to be able to find the things that, that make me happier. And, you know, I know some of them, but I don't know all of them. Okay. It's useful to think of that. When I was uh, writing The Psychology of Wellbeing, I got really, really bad writer's block and I always used to think of myself as an afternoon and evening person mm. and, and I thought I don't function after, unless I've had 17 cups of coffee and you know three slices of cake and then you know I've watched a little bit of afternoon tv you know that. And of course it just stopped working I just literally and I, I'm not ashamed to admit it I actually sat in front of the screen and I cried and I went write something uh, and it got that bad and i thought i need to make a change so what i did is i just threw everything out and i decided to set my alarm for six o'clock of the morning which i didn't know there was two six o'clock and then i started having a walk and i just literally turned everything on its head and i found that i'm now a morning person mm-hmm. and even when we were going through the pandemic and, and the coffee shops were shut, which was my routine, I would still walk to the coffee shop every morning in all weathers. And people would look out the window and say, what's that idiot doing now? <laughs> so I'd walk exactly the same journey and I'd come back and then I'd start working. And I found that that was the only thing that it's just sometimes it's just turning everything. I mean, I'm, big on, I'm big on routine, so I can understand that. And perhaps changing my own routine um, needs to be done. You know, I have, as we've often mentioned, I have an exercise routine. I think exercise is a great uh, lifter of mood. Yeah. And I, and I just do think that sometimes maybe I need to get out of that um, that routine because the, the only times that I do get out of that routine is if I'm injured, you know. So perhaps you know, I, I need to break it down a bit more. But, if, but unfortunately – Stepping out of the routine feels to me like failure, and I hate to fail. Well, it sounds to me that that possibly is your core, that the thing that gets you to a certain level. And it's maybe experimenting with other things that you could add in. So you you talked about putting the mantra in with the routine. Mm-hmm. So you might want to add a visualisation. So it might be that your exercise routine is your core and which you can add and build things and experiment with that. I threw out all of mine because it, I was not functioning at all. If I'd have just been writing a few words a day, I'd have probably thought, okay, what am I doing? How can I build on it? But I, I got to a point where I wasn't writing a word. I would sit at a blank screen for three or four hours. So at that point, you need to do something drastic. If you're ticking along, it's more a model of what can you do to enhance? Yeah, I think that that is it. And and it's also to, in the darker times, to kind of just take stock of those times and, and try and break them up a little bit, break into the thought and, and, and stop it from extending for too long. So we've, we've kind of done a little bit of a recap and we've talked about the, the stories. So I'm aware that uh, we've come to the end of the Psychology of Wellbeing book. So I've, I've shoveled out loads of stuff. And I'm kind of aware that sometime we're talking about changes, possibly might be needing a, a rethink in terms of format. So I'm thinking, what would we need to talk about and how would that need to look in terms of a format? I know it's a really thrown that question at you. 
for it to take, you know, maybe to take happiness from a different angle. I, I always thought that it would be more general. So even going back to almost a year ago when we, we started this, I think it was it was your concept that it would be a journey for me. So, it, you know, you would be the guider, the teacher, and, and me as the pupil. Um, I think we have... <laughs> Is that no, what no, I said? you probably didn't say that, but I'm kind of uh, oh, old, old habits die hard. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think there's, there's more general things and more general aspects of happiness that we can help other people with and uh, and have input on i think what format that takes i'm not entirely sure but perhaps uh, some of our listeners can help us out with that yes yeah, so it might be that you come to me with an idea and say i've tried this out or this is useful what do you think and how can i shape it so it might be that we turn it around in some way mm-hmm. so what's stuck for you so far <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've dropped that one on me. Um, yeah, have no, I? I know it shouldn't feel like you have, but uh, yeah. No, I think you... stuck. Um, the, yeah, the the deep breath, the the disrupting the idea, the disrupting the thought, and repackaging it, rephrasing it, reframing it, whatever you need to do. That is sticking more than ever. I think you know the, the breaking away from things to give them a better analysis. So it sounds like in in Nietzsche's three stages of uh, or three awakenings we're kind of in the camel to lion so the questioning reassessing attitudes and veering towards the lion to child the spirit of experimentation yeah, I would say so. which sounds like a really healthy yeah, place i think to after be. 27 episodes 26 27 episodes, 27 27 episodes we've done pretty well so anyway there and we the are the other good thing is that i'm gonna go to the other side of the room bear with me a second yes so in delving through my loft recently, something I hadn't seen for a very long time, oh, don't wait for your ship to come in, swim out to meet it. The uh, And have you, made, have you made the most of the white clean cover? <laughs> the 2008 book by Dr. Gary Wood, which is pretty dense, isn't it? Actually, I have to say, it's, uh, it's got a lot in it, in its 330-odd pages. And there's a, there's a young Dr. Gary Wood in the back of it as well. That's a good one. Well, when we, we were talking about the self-help episode, and that's that was the book I was basing that on when I said, you know, what probably the mistake I made I remember. was not to plan for more than one episode. And there's about four books in uh, yeah. there. It, it is it is. It's interesting dense, because so. uh, I obviously uh, got to the, – the original bookmark is still in it, and I obviously got to page 96 – that actually mentions Martin Seligman, unbelievably. Yeah, authentic oh, happiness, well, playing yes. to our strengths. Yes, so that's going right back to episode, is it? Ooh, and I can, So on page 97, uh, there is a strengths list of, of values and strengths that you may uh, that people may have, and I reckon that's the reason I stopped at that point, was that I was unable to list my strengths, So which certainly harkens back to the last episode. But since then, you've done a few questionnaire-type things. Yeah, I'm so getting there. Probably much I'm more enlightened. Getting. So you should be able to whip through the rest of the book now. I am way more now. enlightened. Apparently twelve ninety nine. this book uh, when I bought it. I know. $21.50. $21.50. I remember at the time I was quite vociferous of it being no more than nine ninety nine. You can see yeah. they really listened to me. So, But no, I, uh, having worked go. my way through uh, the psychology of well-being, I have to say, don't wait for your ship to come in is the uh, the next one on the list. Oh, don't tell me that could be a series of new could podcasts. Possibly be. 
Right then, a pleasure as always. Indeed. And Thanks uh, for joining us. If you do have ideas about where we go with this, please do let us know via uh, Facebook or Twitter or Instagram even. Subscribe to the podcast, otherwise you'll never know when it's coming back. And uh, rate and review us wherever possible. It has been a pleasure. Very good. We still, we still got it, you know. <laughs> that was and is happiness, a sceptic's guide, with Paul Flower and me, Gary Wood. Throughout this series of podcasts, we have mined the insights from my book, The Psychology of Wellbeing, and showcased theories and research from luminaries in the field of positive psychology, all to find the things that just might make you happier. If you like the podcast, do remember to share, like, subscribe, follow, rate and review. And if you've really enjoyed it, you can support the show at buymeacoffee.com forward slash skepticsguide. Did somebody say coffee?